We're going to be celebrating God's goodness with our final part in our sermon series, Awesome God. We're going to be looking at God's goodness. God's goodness. Uh, I think saying that God is good is one of the most familiar phrases we talk about in church. You know, we, there's that familiar refrain God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. And it can almost be a bit over-familiar, and we can lose the impact of what it actually means that God is truly good. It's only because of God's goodness that Sueta and Maria could testify to all that he's done in their lives. It's because of God's goodness we can know freedom from the past. It's because of God's goodness we can know provision and strength for today. It's only because of God's goodness that we can have a hope for our future. God is good. But perhaps we should ask ourselves, what is good? What is good? We label all sorts of things good and bad, don't we? You know, we we label people, good people, bad people. We're very quick to make judgments on what is good and what is bad. You know, we, we look at films, immediately categorize the goodies and the baddies. And, and God's always on the side of the goodies, isn't he? And he's always on the side of your country. And he's always on the side of your football team. <laughs> Yet as Mike shared last Sunday when he spoke on God's grace, our definition of what is good is very different a lot of the time to God's definition of what is good. What we think of as good doesn't even come close to what God calls good. For one thing, our view of what is good is very subjective. For one, personally, I think pistachio ice cream is good. Hands up, who would categorize pistachio? You see, we're we're very divided here, aren't we? You know, Claire, my wife, would not put good in the same sentence as pistachio ice cream. In her view, there is nothing good about it, the color, the taste. But for me, it's goodness personified in a cornet. It's amazing, possibly the best flavor of ice cream. But what is good for me is not necessarily what is good for her. And yet, the Bible explains that true goodness is not defined by us. It's not even dependent on our opinion. One day, a a rich young ruler called out to Jesus and said, good teacher. And Jesus rather surprisingly turned to him and said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And, you know, Jesus wasn't denying that he was God, as we will see later on, and as you read later on. But what he was doing was challenging this guy's measure of goodness. You know, what, why do you call me good? What have you seen? What, how, what is your measure of goodness? Jesus knew that this guy thought himself was a pretty good guy. He kept 
all the laws. We would have called him, that, you know, that is a good man, good upright man. We would have labeled him good. And yet in this, Jesus draws a very clear distinction between our standard of goodness and God's standard. And Jesus says to him, look, if you really want to be good, follow me. Follow me. He knew he loved his wealth. He said, this is going to be a problem for you. Give away all your wealth if you want to know what's truly good and follow me. And yet, tragically, this guy was too interested in following the so-called good life and tragically missed out on what was truly good, God himself. God himself. Jesus' point really was that goodness doesn't flow from our deeds. Ultimately, it flows from God himself. He alone is good. I always find it interesting when Moses kind of very boldly asks God to reveal his glory. He says, show me your glory. And how was God going to show his glory? Through an amazing display of power, fire falling from heaven. How was he going to show his glory? Well, this is how God shows his glory. In Exodus 33, verse 19, he says, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. And that is what Moses experienced, hidden in the cleft of a rock on Mount Sinai, as God's goodness passed before him. It was God's goodness that was the revelation of his glory. As God passed all these other attributes, his compassion, his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, his justice, it's all wrapped up. It's all an outworking of God's goodness. This is why it's so important to really understand that God is truly good. Aren't you glad about that fact? Are you glad that we have a good good father in heaven. I remember studying Greek mythology at school and learning about all these mythical gods who, who basically played with people's lives for their own amusement. And even then, as a schoolboy, I remember thinking, I'm so glad that my father in heaven is not like that. The true living God doesn't play with people's lives for his amusement. He is a good father. You know, on this Father's Day, if that's the one thing you take home, it's the fact that you have a good father in heaven. All that he does is good. He cannot do anything bad. All that he does is good. Whether you knew your earthly father or not, whether you had the best father in the world, even that, he was a pale reflection of how good your heavenly father is to you. His goodness is the foundation of all his other attributes. Think about it. If he wasn't totally good, if he had some off days, how could we trust his faithfulness? 
How could we trust his justice? Oh, I had a bit of an off day then. How, could, how scary would his power be? God's a bit moody today. You know, the God of all earth. Isn't it just as well? All he does is good. If he wasn't good, his love would not be perfect. It would be self-seeking and manipulative. But it isn't. All he does is good. And all that is truly good flows from him. James 1.17 says this. We're, we're going to be starting next week a new sermon series in the book of James. Really excited about it. We're going to call it Faith That Works. So something to look forward to. But James 1.17 says this. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation. He doesn't have any bad days or shadow due to change. As Rob was encouraging us this morning, he is the unchanging God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is he, if he is good, he is always good. And everything that is good comes from him. It's the same way he's not just loving, he is love. He doesn't just bring light into a situation, he is the light of the world. He is also the source of all that is good in this world. Andrew Wilson, author and uh, theologian, says this, God is good by definition. Anywhere you find real goodness, you will, by definition, have God, and vice versa. You cannot have God without goodness, and you cannot have goodness without God. You can't really get clearer than that. Have, have you got that idea? God is truly good, and all that is good, as James says, flows from him. The thing is, there's little point knowing God is good if we never experience his goodness. And praise God, God's goodness is for us to experience. He wants you to experience his goodness every single day of your life. His goodness isn't just theoretical. You know, God is good because the Bible tells me so. Well, he is because the Bible tells me so, but also because I know it's true. Again, as the testimonies this morning, we heard, God is good because of this, because of that. I've experienced his goodness in my life. His goodness isn't just theoretical. It's something we can experience. So let's turn to Psalm 34. I'm literally going to keep it short this morning because we've had a busy morning. But if you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 34. If you've got a chance, read through the whole psalm. It's not long, but it's such an encouragement. It really is basically David's testimony to God's goodness. Said we've been hearing some testimonies of God's goodness. This is David's testimony of God's goodness. We're just going to read from verse 8 to 10. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. It's an invitation 
for everyone to experience for themselves the goodness of God. David has experienced God's goodness throughout his life. He's experienced his courage facing Goliath. He's experienced his guidance, his guidance, his wisdom, his provision. So he looked after the sheep on the hills. He's known God's goodness and forgiveness and mercy. And he's saying, I want you to taste and see for yourself, not third-hand information, but to know for yourself that God is good. He's saying, taste and see. Come on. I've experienced it. You can too. It's, it's like, um, I think Michaela was talking about the photos that Tim Peake has been uh, taking from the space station. Amazing photos. It's like Tim trying to describe to us this majestic view that he's been witnessing for months now. Yes, we've got the photos, but the truth is none of us will really experience what he's experienced. It will always be third-hand information, unless anyone is uh, a budding astronaut here. We won't experience what he's experienced. And yet, here is an invitation in this passage to taste and see, to experience for ourselves the goodness of God. The fact that God is the source of all goodness goes quite a long way to explain why, as the world drifts further and further away from God, there seems to be less and less good in the world. You know, this week particularly that we've just had has been a pretty horrendous week, hasn't it? It's been a pretty dark week. The headlines just seem to get worse and worse. I mean, in Orlando, 50 massacred. Even Euros, what should be a, a triumph and sporting joy, we see violence. People can't even watch a game without inflicting pain and attacking others. And of course, even on our doorstep on these shores, we hear the tragic news of Joe Cox, MP, shot in her own constituency. I read one of Joe's friends, the MP Peter Kyle. He wrote this this week. He said, in general, something just feels wrong in the world around us right now. There is so much hate and unfocused anger around us. Because of it, people, families, and communities are suffering. I think that sentiment resonates with a lot of people. It's just like, I'm not seeing much of God's goodness in the world around me at the moment. Back in the 1960s, Tozer, A.W. Tozer, fantastic author, again, another theologian, he explained it this way. He said, everything in the universe is good to the degree that it conforms to the nature of God and evil to the degree that it fails to do so. And we're seeing all around us the impact of people turning their back on the goodness of God. You know, we, we hear the phrase, how can a good God allow 
such suffering in the world. We hear it time and time again as people wrestle with the idea of a good God in a very corrupt and broken world. And, and we need to be confident in the fact that our trouble, evil, never finds its source in God. We need to be clear on that. Jesus was very clear on that. In John 10.10, he says it's the thief, Satan, our enemy, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. God is not the source of evil. No good thing can have its inception in him. He is perfect and just in all of, the, in all of his ways. Can he bring good out of a bad situation? Of course he can. Can he use evil and bring good out of it? Of course he can. Romans 8.28, for we know that in all things, the good, the bad, and the downright ugly, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. The next verse, verse 29, we often forget. But what are his purposes? To make us more like his son. That's God's purpose for your life. To make us more like his son. He is at work for our good, even in the midst of our struggles. A lot of our troubles are basically down to living in a very fallen, broken, corrupt world that has rejected God's goodness. You know, God has given us free choice, hasn't he? And a lot of the time we live with the consequences of other people's and our own bad choices. But we also have an enemy who is hell-bent on getting us to, to doubt God's goodness. We have an enemy who doesn't want us to taste and see that the Lord is good. He's been doing that right from the start. That's been his tactic right from the start. He doesn't want us to taste and see. Right in the beginning, we're told in Genesis chapter 1 that everything God made was very good. Perfect. Adam and Eve had everything they could ever need in that garden. Thousands of trees with beautiful fruit for, for, for food. They lacked for nothing. And yet in comes Satan sowing seeds of doubt about God's goodness. Hey, God's holding back on you. He's holding something back from you, something really good. Why? Because he doesn't want you like him. I don't think you can trust him. He's not really for you. Do you really think he has your best interests at heart? He still says the same things to us, doesn't he? Well, if God was really good, then this would happen and that would happen. Maybe he's not for me. The first thing he did was to get Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness. There they were in paradise. I don't think, God, you're really for me. And yes, the fruit looked really good on that one tree that they were told not to touch. It's always the same, isn't it? 
The moment you're told not to touch something, suddenly it becomes deeply attractive. <laughs> it's like the dude, we've got a button on some of the, I shouldn't tell you this actually, we've got a button on some of these um, thermostats and it's labeled, do not touch. Everything in me wants to touch that button. It basically resets the system, please don't touch it. But if it didn't have that label, I would ignore it. But here we have this tree with this fruit that looks good. And so often we spend our lives chasing things that look really good. But are not God's good for us. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're chasing stuff that looks really good in your eyes. You've got it all planned out. But actually, it's not God's good for you. Just pray that God will reveal that to you, even this morning. But we need to combat these lies and this deception and trust that God is good in every circumstance of life. He is working out everything for our ultimate good. We might not see it yet. We might not understand it, but he is a good father who loves us. I love Psalm 84 verse 11. It says, no good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. Have you got that? And depending on where you're at this morning, that can be a really easy verse to say amen to or a real struggle. Because in your mind, you're immediately thinking, well, I can think of at least six things I feel God's withholding from me. The truth is no good thing does the Lord withhold. Do you believe that? As I said, it's very easy when things are going well to agree to scriptures like that. To say, yeah, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. You know, you, when you get that job that you've been after for ages and you text your friend, got the job, God is good. It's wonderful. And it's great to give thanks to God for his provision. But you know what? God's goodness doesn't change if we don't get the job. We could still say, didn't get the job. God is still good. It's just a little harder to do, isn't it, if we're honest? You know, we, we, can, we can think, well, God, I thought you were in this. In my view, this seemed like the perfect opportunity. It just seemed like such an open door. It made so much sense, and now, bang, door shut. And okay, it's good. I think it's really good to take our disappointments to God. It's healthy. We see that in the Psalms. You see that right the way through. Take your disappointments to God. Say, God, I, don't, I really don't understand what you're doing. But I trust you because you are still good. The danger occurs when we're tempted to think, do you really care? Are you really good? But his goodness is not determined by getting what we want. His goodness isn't even determined by our circumstances, however hard it may seem. But so easily, doubts can creep in. So finally, how do we respond to this invitation to taste and see that God is good even when we're really struggling to see any good at all? Well, I think it really helps to know the context of this psalm, Psalm 34. 
Did David write it when he was sitting on his throne, looking out on a peaceful kingdom? Taste and see that the Lord is good. The answer is, of course, no, he didn't. He wrote it very early on in his life. Some Bibles actually reference at the top when it was written. It was when he was running for his life from Saul, the king of Israel, who had grown jealous of his successes. He was in a mess. He was in a very bad place when he wrote this psalm. A lot of it of his own making. For some reason, he thought it was wise to run over the border into the Philistine territory, into enemy territory. He ended up getting hauled before the king, the Philistine king. And, and to escape, he had to pretend he was insane by scratching the walls and dribbling. And then the king basically said, who's this madman? Get him away from me. And he ended up being cowering in a cave. Things were not really going well for the anointed future king of Israel. There he was in a bit of a sticky situation, in a bit of a mess. How easy for him to have started doubting God's goodness. Hold on. This wasn't what I had in, in store. This wasn't how my life was meant to pan out. I'm the anointed king of Israel. God, I, I thought you had great plans for my life. Are you just playing with me? But no, he doesn't go down that road. He doesn't go down that road. Instead, he says, in the midst of all this, taste and see that the Lord is good. He starts the psalm off. This psalm is an acrostic psalm. It's really clever. Every line starts with the next letter of his alphabet. It was deeply thought out, this wonderful testimony of his. He starts by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. Through the good, through the bad, his praise will continually be in my mouth. He goes on in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, okay? Good people suffer. He's very upfront about that. But the Lord delivers them from them all. That's the punchline here. Yes, we suffer. We're in a fallen, corrupt world. We make bad decisions. Other people make bad choices that affect us. We suffer, but the Lord delivers them from them all. That's his punchline. He reminds himself and us of God's goodness. Even though the circumstances are bad, God is still good. And as you read through the psalm, he, he hears us in verse 6. When you cry out, God hears you. He protects us in verse 8. In verse 10, he provides for you. And again in verse 19, ultimately, he will deliver us. The thing is, if we can stand firm on the truth that God is still good and is still working out his plans and purposes for our good, even, even when we, we find it difficult to see, even when the circumstances haven't worked out exactly as we would have liked, then, like David, we will find that God is a refuge and a strong tower. That's what he says through those difficult times. Don't let your view of God's goodness be shaped or determined by your circumstances.
God is still at work for your good. And everything he does is perfect. Love the simplicity of Psalm 119 in verse 68. Simply says this, you are good and what you do is good. Simple, isn't it? So simple, but so profound and so true. God, you are good and what you do is good. Such a strength. It may not be the way we were planning or hoping. Times we may never understand why it's the way it is. Why am I going through this then, God? Sometimes we may never understand, but we can trust him and, like David, give thanks in all circumstances. You know, God's heart is for, is for us to experience and trust his goodness afresh this morning. It's an invitation for everyone. You know, whether you're a Christian or not, the invitation is to taste and see that God is good. Another psalm, Psalm 145, verse 9, says this, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. On all that he has made. He revealed his goodness to Moses on Mount Sinai. But the best, most incredible way he revealed it to everyone was the cross of Jesus, wasn't it? God's ultimate expression of goodness was when Jesus died for you, paid the price for your sin to give you new life. As these guys were testifying, you know, free from guilt, free from shame, free from condemnation, that word that came, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And, and I love the way this psalm ends, Psalm 34 David simply says, no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. No one. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, this Father's Day, why don't you decide to taste and see that your Heavenly Father is indeed good? It'll be an opportunity to, to pray with people at the end. Maybe you're really going through it at the moment. Maybe if you're honest, it's been a very long time since you can really say, I've experienced God's goodness. Again, this, this invitation is for you too, to taste and see that God is good, to take comfort that he is at work through your circumstances. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. You may not see it yet, but take refuge in him. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Don't stand off. Amit gave, gave that word last Sunday about coming to the Father with your troubles, particularly financial, relational. If you've got troubles with your marriage, troubles with your family, but also those who are just feeling downright weary. It's an invitation to trust in God's goodness again. Come to the Father. Take refuge in Him. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Seek Him this morning, wherever you're at. He is the unchanging God. And if He is good, which He is, He is good all the time.